0: All right, we are going through the book of Acts, so if you would, uh, turn to Acts chapter 8. If you're using a blue Bible from the center of the table, it's page 1015. So Acts chapter 8, we're going to be covering verses 9 through 25. Next week, we are going to finish chapter 8. Next week will be in verses 26 through 40. So please write next week's passage down in your worship guide. Read that. Study that. Dig into that in the week ahead. And come here next week prepared to hear from the Lord. So this is our third message in chapter 8. And what we're seeing so far in chapter 8, and really throughout the entire book of Acts, is that the gospel message of the kingdom of Jesus is going forward, and many are coming to the Lord. And something very significant has happened earlier in chapter 8, and that is that the gospel message has traveled outside of Jerusalem. So far, for the most part, the activity of the gospel and the power of the gospel has very much been centralized and located in Jerusalem. But in the last two weeks in the previous verses in chapter 8, it has gone out. And it's gone out specifically to an area called Samaria. And so we covered that last week. This week, we're going to continue to learn about Philip, who was introduced last week. We're going to continue to learn about his ministry. And we're going to learn about a particular run-in that he had with a man named Simon. Let me tell you, there's some difficult things about this passage. You know, every week when I jump into a passage, I always have questions about it, and, you know, usually by the time I'm done studying and preparing the sermon, a lot of those questions are answered, you know, usually, most of the time, some of them aren't, but I'll go ahead and tell you, there's a lot of questions about this passage that still are unanswered for me. This is, this is a unique story. I don't think, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts, and I don't think he was trying to tell us all the details or give us the whole story here. And so if you find yourself doing a lot of head scratching this week, then so be it. This is the real world. This is ministry. There's nothing simple about it. So let's dig in. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Follow along with me, please. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given... Through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, You all take four or five minutes, read this passage to yourself, meditate on it, just dive into it deeply as you can as an individual, and when the time's right, your table leader will begin the discussion. Um, We've got four basic questions. What's the passage say? What's it mean? How should I respond? And then is there any good news in this passage? And that's kind of a general structure of how we do the questions here. So be ready to share any observations you have. If you have any questions about it. This discussion is a great time to ask. So take some, a few minutes and dive in deeply yourself. There's a lot going on in this passage. Yes. The book of Acts has been very much about a group of people with a message about someone else. But our story today is about that group of people, but there's a man that has a message, but it's not about someone else. That man and his message is about himself. And the story gets pretty wild. I got a feeling that in real life it may have been much more wild than what we have presented here before us. But we've seen that the message of the people of God is the good news of God's King, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for the sin of mankind, rose again three days later, ascended to the Father where he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. The church just begins to explode It grow in a good way. It grows. It increases. It's changing a community. It's changing a city. And in this, what we've seen last two weeks, it's beginning to change an entire region. And all of this is about Jesus. And then we have Simon, and he hears this message. And we learn very quickly that Simon is about Simon. I want to ask you today, are you about Jesus? Or are you about You? Is he your king or are you the king? So the story with Simon picks up in verse 9. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. And this was his message saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. So Simon had captivated the city. He had captivated the people of the city from, from the poorest of the poor to some of the most powerful and influential people in the city. And they were saying that this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him for a long time. He was not a newcomer to the city. He had quite a grip on the people. And he had amazed them with his magic, the Bible says. You all, Simon was a man who loved getting the glory for himself. I recall Isaiah 42, 8, where God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. You all, Simon is a man that is not about God. He is not about the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is about himself and he wants the glory from himself. He wants to be worshipped and he has quite the following. It is very much a cult It is very much maybe possibly almost a localized religion where Simon claims some type of divinity and power. And the God who made Simon, the God who made you and I will only permit that to take place for so long. These verses say that he practiced magic. This magic was not sleight of hand. This magic was not the type of magic you learn just by sitting in front of a mirror (laughs) and trying to do a card trick, and no one in front of you being able to see what you do. So one of the things that most of you know my father-in-law, one of the things you probably don't know about him is that he was a magician at one point in time in his life. Uh, from what I hear, he, he solved my mother-in-law in half regularly and put her back together. Okay, That's not the type of magic that my father-in-law and mother-in-law did when they were in their sideshow gigs. Okay, This was sorcery. This is demonic in nature. And this type of sorcery or witchcraft or divination, however, whatever word you want to use, is nowhere permitted in the Bible. It's condemned everywhere in Scripture. Deuteronomy 18 says, There shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. (laughs) Then, of course, we're familiar with the Ten Commandments. and, And the first one is that you shall have no other gods before me. But anyone who turns... And looks to something or someone else for guidance, someone in the heavens. I'm not talking about getting counsel from a friend. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you look to something spiritual and divine that is not God, then you are turning to another God for guidance. And this is idolatry. This is condemned everywhere in Scripture. So the very first of the Ten Commandments condemns this type of activity. But not only that, we have the greatest commandment that Jesus taught us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength. And the moment you go to get your palm read, you're not doing that. The moment you turn to your um, horoscopes, you're not doing that. You're looking for guidance and wisdom from the stars. And God says, I will have none of that among my people at all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because of that, when you need guidance, you go to God. You don't go elsewhere. When you need power to do something, and I'm not talking about magic or supernatural things when I say this, but just when you need power to bring a change in your life, when you need power or wisdom to make a decision, when you have those hard things coming up and you're looking for strength, Look to God and look to him alone. So Simon, he was a man that was all about himself. And he had tapped into some type of power from the demonic realm. And you all, there is power within the demonic realm. Think about Moses when he went before Pharaoh when they were in slavery in Egypt. He threw his staff down and it turned into a serpent. And then Pharaoh, he had some magicians and sorcerers, men just like Simon. And they threw their staff down and they're like, look, we can do this too. Well, then Moses's serpent ate theirs. And God very quickly and simply showed his sovereignty and his power over the demonic realm. What Simon was doing was all about himself. And even though he could do some of the same things that Philip was doing, what he was doing was of the demonic realm. And Simon's message was himself. He was great. And he was God. And this is different than the message of Jesus. This is different than the message of the apostles. This is different than the message of Stephen, the guy who got killed because of what he taught. This is different than the message of the people who fled Jerusalem and spread out to the different areas of Samaria. This is different from the message of Philip. You all, Philip's message is found in verse 12. And we looked at this in detail last week. But when they believed Philip as he preached what? The good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You all, that is the message of God. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it says here that they believed. Many people believed. We don't know how many. It probably wasn't all. But what we see in the book of Acts over and over and over again is that there are large groups of people that are coming to faith in Christ. God is building his church. He had promised that he would do that. Jesus had promised that he would do that. He had said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And here it is. The gospel is, has up to this point mostly been for the Jews. Well, here it's going into the Samaritans. And the Jews, they didn't look too highly of the Samaritans. They thought the Samaritans were a bunch of idolatrous half-breeds. I kind of unpacked that last week. They had no respect for them. But all of a sudden, here in this passage, they're coming to faith in Christ, just like many of the Jews have. And God is showing very quickly that this message of Jesus isn't just for the Jews, but it is for all peoples, even to the uttermost ends of the earth. So the Samaritans are believing, and as they're believing, they were getting baptized. Now, I have to tell you, it's a little ironic, the baptismal pool is not here today. We moved it yesterday. It's under the carport. And so there's a cool door right behind that curtain that some brilliant person put in 10 or 15 years ago before I got here. So, anyway, it's under the carport. But we're going to be putting some wheels on it and we'll be able to wheel it in there on when we have baptisms and, and we'll have some more space. We need to make more space in here. So, it's a little ironic the baptisms in our passage the day after we pulled it out of here because I want some of you to get baptized. All right, why are people baptized? These people were being baptized. They believed. What was the first thing they did? They got baptized, y'all. It's really, really important. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is king, that he's the Lord, that he died for you and that he rose again? Do you believe that? Are you a person who has been saved by the blood of Jesus? Let me ask you, have you been baptized? These people were baptized right after they believed the message. It was men and women. God doesn't play favorites. He looks at us all with all of our differences quite the same. And he, he, he loves us just the same. But Jesus himself was baptized, And when he was baptized, he said that I'm going to do this. He said right before he got baptized, he says, I'm going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus also, after he rose again from the dead and right before he went back up to heaven, he told his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and teaching them to obey all I have commanded. So that was the plan. Make disciples. A disciple is an apprentice or a follower of Christ. Teach them to obey. And one of the first things that someone should do when they believe in Christ, when they become a disciple, is to be baptized. You all, we commonly think of Christian baptism only as a public profession of faith. That is exactly what it is. But you all, that is just one side of the coin. And this coin has a lot of sides to it. It's so much more than just a public profession. Baptism is a visible sign of God's invisible grace. There was a word that Pastor Bob used uh, quite often that some of you may remember. It was the word sacrament. And I think that's a great word. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are visible, right? They're physical. They're tangible. It's something that anyone who's around can see. A sacrament is a visible sign of God's invisible grace. There's a really cool guy named Augustine who defined it that way about 1800, 1700 years ago. He said it's an invisible sign. I'm sorry, it is a visible sign of God's invisible grace. Has God done something inside of your heart? Okay? See, no one can see him do that until it comes out. And one of the ways that it comes out is through the sacrament. Of baptism. You all water baptism. It shows that we died with Christ. That there's a part of us. That went into that tomb with him. And that we come up. Like he did on the third day. He came out of that tomb right. And we go down into the water. Like he went into that tomb. And we come up out of the water. Like he came up out of the tomb. And after we come up. There's a part of us that we have left behind. There's a part of us that has died. And now we have new life in Christ. In addition to this, the Old Testament had a lot of ceremonial washings. And those washings were symbolic. They were like a shadow or a a type of what was to come. You can read about those like in Leviticus and some of those strange parts of the Bible that have all those rules that none of us understand. But all of those things, you should pay attention in that part of your Bible, All of those things point forward to Christ and to this message that Philip is preaching that is changing so much of Samaria. See, those washings in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the cleansing power of the gospel that is portrayed and shown in Christian baptism. You all, we no longer have to physically wash ourselves to stay forgiven. Now, you do need a shower every day to wash the dirt away. But when Christ washes you, When he cleanses you, he takes away all your sin. It's gone once for all. And that's the reason why God says, just get baptized once. It's not something you do every year. It's not something that you are to do over and over again. We have been forgiven once and for all through the cleansing work of Christ. And baptism is a visible sign of the invisible cleansing work of Christ that has taken place through the gospel. Do you believe in Christ? then let's get baptized. Let's not wait anymore. Let's move forward with God's plan for our life. So a lot of people believe they got baptized. And one of the things that we see in this, another thing that we see in this passage is that when the gospel of the kingdom comes into a person or into an area, there's always conflict. You all the gospel isn't just that Jesus died and rose again for you and you need to be saved. It is that, but it also has to do with Jesus Christ being the king. That has to be a part of our message somewhere in there. Not to the neglect of his life, death, resurrection by any means at all. But his lordship, his supremacy, his rule, and his reign has to be included. And as that message of Jesus Christ as king came in, it came into conflict with demonic powers, didn't it? We saw in last week's passage that evil spirits were were crying out and coming out of people. There was a confrontation of the light with the darkness. And we know that the light of God always wins out. There were also people that were being healed because the kingdom of God was coming. And where the king is, he transforms things. He heals things. He redeems so much. He doesn't do it all as quickly as we like. And none of us are entitled to a healing but he gives us little glimpses of his kingdom from time to time. And we cry out for him for more and more of his kingdom. But here, the kingdom came into confrontation with evil power. The king, and, and y'all, I say this. Y'all, there's witches in this community. I've had, I've had some dealings with some of them this week. Okay, had not been anything too crazy, but it's been difficult. Okay, there's, there's people that are into this stuff here in our community. Verse 13. It tells us about Simon. It tells us how Simon responded to the gospel. It says even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. That's pretty cool, right? (laughs) He was doing what everybody else did. Okay? External appearances so far, he's looking like, yeah, he's with the church, right? Yeah, he's doing what Jesus told him to do. But what follows after this is challenging, it's difficult, Verse 13 goes on to say that Simon saw the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed, and he was amazed. Now, let's leave Simon for a minute. We'll get back to him when we get to verse 18. So we have lots of Samaritans coming to the faith, right? Well, word of this got back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem were all the apostles, and the apostles were the ones who were with Jesus when he was alive. We get to verse 14. The apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. You all, there's nothing simple about this passage. It's simple if you're only looking at this passage. But if you look at what, other, what else happens in the Bible and what else is taught in the Bible, this can be challenging. I've got some unanswered questions about these verses I've just read. See, some people teach that folks get saved and then later on they receive the Holy Spirit as a second experience. And the people who use this, you mainly see this in Pentecostal churches. But the people who say this, that they use this passage in Acts chapter 19 to support the idea. Well, Scripture, when you look at the grand scheme of things, you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and a number of things that Jesus said and a number of things that are taught throughout the epistles. Scripture teaches That the normative experience is that you believe and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's normal. That's what we see. Now, that doesn't let us off the hook for needing the Holy Spirit after we become a Christian. The Bible does command us to be filled with the Spirit, as it says in Ephesians 5. The Bible does command us to walk in the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5. And I believe that those two things are the same thing. You all, we are, as a Christian, we are to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to let his power flow in through us. And that's really, that's the only way that we can obey God and glorify God, is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But to live on this roller coaster of, God, are you going to give me the Holy Spirit so I can have this really dramatic experience like those people have? It's a roller coaster that messes with our emotions and it creates first-class Christians and second-class Christians. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's not biblical. It's not what God would have us to do. So these people, they believed, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So why did that happen? If that's not normal, why did that happen? Why did they believe but not receive the Spirit? Why did the apostles need to be a part of their conversion experience. You all, I think that most likely, and most commentators think this too, that this is God's way of creating unity in the church. I told you all last week that the Jews had little to no respect for the Samaritans. For the most part, they avoided the Samaritans like the plague. They didn't even want to travel through town. They went out of their way most of the time if they had to travel like from Jerusalem up to Galilee. But I believe this is God's way of creating unity in the church. Jesus did say, I will build my church. You all, he's in charge of the church. And in Acts chapter 1, we remember that Jesus telling the disciples that you're going to receive power from the Spirit. And then you're going to be my disciples starting where? In Jerusalem, right? Where Jesus died and rose again. But then they would go to Samaria and then to the uttermost ends of the earth. Well, here the apostles They leave Jerusalem, and they go to see the work of God elsewhere. You all, the Jews had a history of not recognizing and realizing what God did in other parts of the world with other types of people who were not just like them. Anybody struggle with that? Sometimes we struggle with that too, don't we? We think that we have, like, like we're God's favorites somehow. (laughs) I think that's a general difficulty among many American Christians. We don't understand that he loves people on the other side of the world and he died for them just as much as he did for us. And you all, the, the Jews had this trouble. I believe that the presence of the apostles, Peter and John going up there, was to confirm that the Samaritans were participants in the kingdom of God. That they had been incorporated into God's family that God had adopted them and washed away their sins just like he had adopted the Jews and washed away their sins through the blood of Christ. The Samaritans are a part of God's church. They are a part of God's ecclesia. They are a part of God's family of his gathering. And we see similar things happening in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, and Acts chapter 13. The gospel just keeps going to these different groups of people and the apostles are like, whoa, this really is for all people. and So I think, it's my opinion, that, that and I think this can be confirmed in a number of places. I think the apostles going up there and, giving, and the Holy, God giving the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans through the apostles was really for the apostles more than the Samaritans. Because God wanted the leaders of the church. God wanted the, the very men who were with Jesus when he was alive, the very men who saw him die and rise again. God wanted them to know That God was for them. God wanted them to know, as it says in Galatians chapter three, that as many of you or that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave or free. There's neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You all, the apostles, saw the Holy Spirit fall upon them and they recognized and they were able to confirm that the gospel of the kingdom was for them, too. And that the salvation of Jesus is available for those people that are on the other side of the tracks, too. Y'all, that's good news. That is good news. And we get to verse 18 and we go back to Simon. And when, when Simon saw the spirit was given them through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Y'all, he had money. He, he was pretty big guy in Samaria. Remember, the people were amazed by him. And he knew how to get that into his bank account. So Simon told him, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You all, Simon loved power. See, in verse 13, it said that Simon was amazed at the miracles that God did through Philip. See, before Philip came, I think he was the only one doing these kinds of incredible things. But then Philip came, and all of a sudden, Simon had a little bit of competition. It is likely, it is possible, I can't conclude this for sure, but it is likely and possible that Simon decided, hey, I'm going to join them, I'm going to figure out what they know for myself, and then I'm going to take my time back, okay? I'm kind of reading between the lines there, we can't say that for sure, but that's some speculation on my part, and y'all, he tried to buy the supernatural power of God. You all, he wanted spiritual power for the wrong reasons, he had once had the crowds captured for himself, but now Peter and John and Philip are in town, and people are taking notice of them. And Simon wants what they have, and he's going to pay to get it. Y'all, Simon's focus was on his desire was to give people the Holy Spirit. There's no indication in this passage The Simon wanted to have anything to do with the transforming work and the transforming power of the Spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in God's people. If you know God, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And the Holy Spirit makes you about Jesus. Do powerful and amazing and shocking things happen at times? Absolutely. That should be a part of our Christian experience to some degree. But we are not to pursue those things first and foremost. And that was what Simon wanted. He wanted the power. And Peter, man, Peter gets it right, y'all. Peter gets it right. I want to venture to say this. Every once in a while in this church, some of us need to talk to somebody in this church, like, Simon, like Peter talked to Simon. Okay. Peter seems kind of harsh, right? But he had good reason to do this, right? Right? Y'all, every once in a while, you need to tell your brother to repent. Every once in a while, you've got to tell your sister to repent. Every once in a while, there's going to be a fellow member of the church family who's out of line, who's not walking in the Spirit, who's not walking according to the Word of God. And they're going to need a brother or sister to come along to them lovingly and like, say, Look, brother, you need to repent. You're making this about yourself, and it is certainly not about God. Y'all, we've got to talk to each other like this sometime. Peter spoke to Simon. He said, May your silver perish with you. Y'all, that's rough. Literally, you know what that means? And, and kids, don't go talking to each other like this when you get home later today, okay? I don't, I don't want to hear from anybody that y'all went home and you're talking like this to your friends or, or your siblings. Here, here's what it means when he says, may your silver perish with you. To hell with you. To hell with your money. It was very much a curse. You are not right with God. And you are worshiping your money, and all of it can go to hell, is what Peter's saying here. This was a rebuke of the sharpest kind. In the second part, in the last part of verse 21, Peter says, Your heart is not right before God. You all, what comes out of our mouths for all to hear shows what's in our heart, where very few can see, where sometimes we even have a very hard time seeing. You all Christians are to call people out of sin. It doesn't matter if it's your brother in Christ who's in sin or your neighbor who's in sin that doesn't know Christ. You all, there will always be times where we need to tell people to repent. And if we are telling people about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then part of that message has to be repent. We're not just trying to sell them some information about Jesus. We're not just merely sharing the gospel. We are commanding them to repent, to have a new mind towards God and towards Jesus Christ, the King, the Son of God. Peter is telling this wicked man to repent. You all, as we proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of Jesus... We are commanding all people to bow down and worship the king and to live under his authority, to live under his rule and his reign. How often does someone tell you to live under God's rule? How often does someone tell you to live under in his kingdom and to obey him? You all, that's the message of the kingdom. You all, the gospel of the kingdom, it confronts evil in all of its forms. When Jesus was alive, he confronted the man-made religion of the Pharisees. In the earlier part of the book of Acts, the apostles continued confronting the religious Pharisees who had made their faith about themselves and not about God. Stephen, he had to do the same thing, and it cost him his life. The people who were scattered in the earliest verses of Acts chapter 8, they went out proclaiming the good news of the word of God, And now Philip is here proclaiming the kingdom. You all, when you proclaim the kingdom, you are enacting and engaging in warfare. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard the Ephesians 6, 12 verse. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You all, there's a demonic realm and world and it's right next door. And if we're faithful in this ministry of the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, then let me tell you what, those who hate God, they're going to show up. They are going to show up. But we are not afraid. God is in us and God is with us and we will bring to them the word of God. We will move forward issuing the command of God. We will move forward issuing the mercy and the love of God. And anyone who comes to Christ is welcome at his table is welcome in the, in the church. doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus Christ is the king for all who will come. So when we tell people the commands of God, we're also sharing them. You have blown it, but Jesus loves you. The king has come, and instead of him just wiping out his enemies, he gives his life for you so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have your sin wiped away, so that on judgment day when you stand before him, You don't have to face the punishment for your sin, but you are not guilty because the king, the one whose law you have broken, gave his son for you. You all, we're moving forward, engaging the darkness, and we're not going to stop. Things are going to get wild sometime. Things are going to get hairy sometimes. You're going to be going to a church where people hate your pastor and people hate the events that you're doing. But they're going to do that because they despise God and they despise his commands. (laughs) Philip and Peter and John were proclaiming the kingdom of God. and The powers of darkness were showing up. You all, we also see when we get to verse 20. Well, the second part of verse 20. We he already said to hell with you and your money. The second part of verse 20, Peter says, To hell with you and your money, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with that money. From what we saw earlier, we know that we know, I'm sorry, we know that Simon pursued the power for the wrong reasons, right? Well, here he pursues the power, he pursues what God has to offer with the wrong method. If you want anything from God, you need to become like a child and receive it as a gift. But he said, God, I got a whole bunch of money. Do you want some? Don't talk to God like that. You all, when we come to God, we must not treat him like a merchant who can be negotiated with. But we, he is a, we must treat him as a benevolent king who gives to anyone who comes to him on his terms. You all, many men see their need for God and do everything they can to come to God the way that they think they should. Many people try to approach God on their own terms instead of saying, God, I see you and I know you're real. How is it that you want me to come? Going to God on your own terms doesn't work. We must go to God on the terms that he has set forth in his word and the gospel. You all, biblical faith has to do with trusting Christ Not working hard to get to heaven as Alan Jackson taught me when I was a teenager. But biblical faith has to do with trusting Christ to do something that only he can do. Biblical faith has to do with receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel of the kingdom. You don't earn forgiveness of sin. You don't buy it. It is a gift. And you all, you got to become like those kids in the nursery. Mamas, don't they look to you and know that you have exactly what they need and they can't fix dinner all by themselves and they just wait for you to do it? Y'all, that's how we got to come to God as a kid, knowing that we can't get to God on our own, but that we've got to let Him come to us and we have to receive whatever it is that He gives to us. Y'all, Simon didn't understand the gospel. You know, Luke never tells us that he didn't believe it, but there's so much evidence in here to suggest that he did not. And I want to encourage you, don't get stuck and don't focus on what did Simon really believe or not. Okay, there's not an answer to that question. I've got my opinion, but that's not the point of this passage. So how did Simon respond to Peter's rebuke? He said this, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. You all, I don't see him confessing his sin here. I don't see him broken before the Lord, I see him trying to escape the consequences. Let me talk to you mamas again. It's Mother's Day, right? You catch a kid doing something wrong, you correct them. You know, sometimes they're not sorry for what they did, and you know they're just going to go and do it again, right? First chance they get, right? Well, that kind of seems like Simon is doing here. But you know, there's other times where you catch your kids doing something wrong, and you correct them, and you see some brokenness in them, you see some sorrow in them, I don't think that's what Simon is doing here. You all, even here, Simon is trying to escape the consequences of his actions, but I never see any brokenness or heartfelt apology. You all, the Bible teaches that there's two different kinds of sorrow. There is a God-centered sorrow that produces repentance that leads to salvation. And if you know Christ, then you know all about that. But there's also a man-centered sorrow. There's a second. Kind of sorrow. There's a man centered sorrow that does not change the heart of man. It does not produce repentance. It only produces death. You all, the story of Simon is over at this point. Scripture doesn't say what else he did. I will say this there are at least four other references to Simon in ancient first century literature. And all four of those references say that Simon ended up being a horrible enemy of the church for many decades ahead after this. And all four of those witnesses are in agreement. You know, I I, I do think that Luke leaves us with that likelihood. So we get to verse 25 and we're wrapping up. Peter and John, after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. You all, Peter and John saw the loving, life-changing power of the gospel in the Samaritans. And it was no short trip from Samaria to Jerusalem. It took at least a couple days on foot to make that trip. Well, you know what? They made a lot of stops. And they told even more Samaritans about Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. I want to ask you all today... Is there any part of you that loves sorcery and the power that other gods have to offer? I wanna ask you today, do you ever look to the stars for guidance or depend on other gods to get you what you need? If so, I want you to repent. Put those things down. You guys, Christ is all and he has everything you need. You shall have no other gods before the one true God. I want to ask you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have you been baptized? And if not, what are you waiting for? Y'all, it's time to do it. Let me know if that's you. I want to ask you all, the most important message in your life, is it the message of Jesus? Or is it your hobby? Or your business? Or yourself? Or something else? Doesn't mean you can't talk about other things with people. What is the most important message? Don't be like Simon. Be like Philip. Be like the other believers and proclaim the kingdom. I also want to ask you, are you prepared for the darkness to come out in our neighborhood? Are you prepared for that? It's happening. It will happen more. You all, we will proclaim the kingdom of God in every realm, in every area of life. And in the year ahead, we're going to be moving forward, doing that in a public way, in a way that we've never done before. And God is leading us in that direction. You all in our county, there are very influential and wealthy people who hate our message. They want this county and all of our lives to be about them. We will hear from some of them at times. You all there are drug addicts and drunks and criminals that will want to have nothing to do with Jesus Christ as King. You all there are corrupt politicians in our county that will not want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ as King. You all there are violent, nasty people who don't want to have anything to do with King Jesus and anyone who follows him. You all there are greedy businessmen in this community. You all there are baby murderers in this community. You all there are witches and sorcerers in this community who we're going to freak out when we publicly say what it is that God is calling all people to. Lastly, as I consider how Simon approached God, trying to buy the power of God, I want to ask you, have you come to Jesus on your own terms? Or do you come to Jesus on his terms? See, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What does that mean? What does it mean that by grace you have been saved? It means the only way to be saved is by receiving what God has for you as a free gift. He goes on to say in Ephesians 2, By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. You all, it is the gift of God. You don't get saved by the good things that you do. So you cannot boast about anything that you have to offer the Lord. You all, some of us, sometimes we need to repent because we can trick ourselves sometimes and think we're so awesome and that's why God loves us. No, that's not why God loves you. Y'all, it's a bit of a mystery sometimes why God loves us. And there's a number of scriptures that I could point to. But you guys, God loves the whole world. And this gospel of salvation, this message that is free, you all, it's for everybody. All people need to hear it. All people need to know that He is a good King who gave His Son. All people need to know about this salvation. Let's pray.